So here we are, coming to the end of Holy Week, and I've got to tell you, I've always really been bothered by the name Good Friday. What a way to recognize this day in the life of the Christian church. I I mean, seriously, it's somber, it's dark, it's quiet, it's very different from all the rest of the services that we have in the church here, because the subject matter is nothing less than the time that we gather to remember the death of Jesus. It bothers me because to call it Good Friday makes the entire focus of the day on us. It's only good for those of us who believe in Jesus. And then it's because it's Him who died for us. It's Jesus that died, not us. It's only a good day because of what Jesus did for us. There's nothing good about this day 2,000 years ago for Jesus. It troubles me that you and I call the day that Jesus gave His life for our sins good. I think how arrogant and how self-centered can we possibly be? And the real kicker is that we call it Good Friday only because in our sin we recognize that we are anything but good. It is only good for us. Good Friday wasn't good for Jesus. And tonight I want to take a little bit of time and I want to talk about that. So I read through the different gospel texts that recount the roughly 24 hours from Thursday evening to about mid-afternoon on Friday. There was a lot of good things that happened for some not-so-good people in those passages, but not for Jesus. We look at them and there really wasn't one good thing that happened to Jesus in that time. After he shared that meal that we have come to know as the last summer where, supper where we get Holy Communion, Jesus asked his closest friends, his disciples, to go with him east of Jerusalem, outside of the city, to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray with him. On the way, they stopped at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus has a brief conversation with Peter. And what he says to Peter is that before this night is over, Peter, and Peter was the, Peter was the overconfident one, the outspoken disciple, said, Peter, before this night is over, you're going to deny me not one time, not two times, But three times, you're going to deny being my friend. You're going to deny being my disciple. You're going to deny even knowing me. Peter, of course, says, no, that'll never happen, Jesus. Then they continue on to the Garden of Gethsemane itself, and and he asks the disciples to join him and pray. It's all he asked for. So while he leaves them off by by, uh, themselves, he, he says to God his Father in Matthew 26, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He's not with his disciples. He's alone in a different part of the garden, and he and God are having this conversation on their own. The disciples, all they've asked them to do is to just pray with him. I think what an incredible and heart-wrenching moment of vulnerability it is for Jesus the man. Because really all he's simply saying is, Dad, if there's any way that you can accomplish your purpose for what lies ahead for me, please do it. If there's any other way that you can get it done, but if I'm the only way, Dad, then I'm willing to do whatever it is that you ask of me. See, Jesus knew what was ahead. He knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what the Romans would do to him. He had seen men hanging from crosses along the roads around the countryside his whole life. So he takes the disciples to the garden so that they could finally do something for him. And he asks them to pray. 
doesn't seem to be too much, but there was nothing good in them because they fell asleep on Jesus not once, but three times He comes back to them. Three times they're sleeping. All He asked them to do was to please pray. He invites them into this struggle that He's going through. And as soon as He's finished praying, He walks to His betrayer Judas who has come up with a, with a mob basically of, of officials from the church and the chief priests. And Judas walks up to Him and He has the nerve to call Him Rabbi. And he walks to Jesus, the Son of God, and he gives him a kiss. What a way to betray the king. A kiss. Literally the kiss that led to Jesus' death. There was nothing good in that. There was nothing good in Judas. You know what Jesus' reply was? The Bible says that he looked at him and he said, Friend. Knowing exactly what was happening, the only good in Good Friday is Jesus. That's all. There's no good anywhere else. But things are only getting started. The religious leaders grabbed Jesus then in Gethsemane. And Jesus said to them, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once send to me more than 12 legions of angels? Folks, 12 legions of angels is 60,000 warrior angels coming to Jesus' defense. Jesus knew that He had the power to walk away at any moment, and yet He did not. That was His prayer to God. If there's any other way, please... But if there isn't, I'm willing to do whatever you need, Father. See, Jesus didn't call in the angels because He alone on all the earth is good. Jesus is the good Son. And as soon as that happened, you know what the rest of the disciples did? The Bible says the disciples scattered. Jesus was then led back across the Kidron Valley to the palace of Caiaphas, who was the Jewish high priest for the first of his trials, none of which was even kind of fair. And it's here that Jesus was lowered into this deep water cistern carved out of stone into the lowest level of the palace. And it served as a prison cell. It was cold and it was dark. And he was very much all alone with the exception of the voices that he could hear speaking in the courtyard patio outside, many of whom were just carrying on life as usual. They didn't really pay any attention to who it was that was in the cell. And it was from this underground cell that Jesus would have been able to hear those people and He would have recognized a voice that He knew well and it would have been Peter. Peter was among those on the patio, the Bible says, and it was out there within earshot of Jesus that He denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus knew it was coming. He knew what Peter was going to do. He had prepared Peter for it. But can you imagine for even a moment what it would feel like to be thrown into an underground cave all alone and to hear the man who said he loved you more than anyone else on earth deny his relationship with you, deny his friendship with you, deny so much as to say he didn't even know you. There was nothing good in Peter on this night. Later, Jesus is sent over to Pilate, and Pilate asks Jesus, are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus provides nothing in the way of his own defense. He simply stands silent before his accusers, and yet Pilate couldn't find any charge against Jesus that was really worthy of death. And so he wanted to release him, but in order to save his reputation for the crowd, he said, you know, this time of year, I always release one man back to you. And the crowd chose a man named Barabbas. The Gospel writers tell us he was a thief, he was a bandit. 
He was a murderer. He was someone who had led an insurrection against the Roman government. He was an evil man. He belonged in jail. It's important to note that in Jesus' day, names meant so much. They told where you came from. They told who your family was. That's why we know Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth. Barabbas meant something too. In this case, Bar means son. And Abba, as we know from the Bible, means father. Barabbas literally means the son of his father. It's a name that means nothing, and it means everything at the same time. He was significant, but in his insignificance, he represented every one of us. We are all sons and daughters of our fathers. Just like Barabbas, we're all guilty, and we get off the punishment that is due for our sins, just like he did. And Jesus took his punishment upon himself. Pilate and Jesus then have an interesting conversation on the nature of truth. And what exactly is truth? And then in stark contrast to truth, Pilate gives his hands this rinse in front of the crowd that, and says that he's innocent of Jesus' blood and he releases Barabbas to the angry mob and has the innocent Son of God delivered to be scourged or flogged as it is called. Barabbas must have thought he'd really pulled one over on this Jesus guy, wondering what kind of a fool was he anyway. What Barabbas never knew and so many of us never really understand is that Jesus gave him his freedom too. Barabbas, who deserved to die for his sins and he knew it, was allowed to live. And Jesus ended up paying the penalty for Barabbas with his own life. And part of what we've got to understand about this passage of Scripture is that you and I, we are Barabbas. We think that we're so good. But in fact, we're not. When we hold our life to the life of Jesus, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin as well. And just like Barabbas, all too often we don't even understand the magnitude of what He's done. Unfortunately, this is where things really start getting serious for Jesus. See, the Romans, they, they had become experts at this point at inflicting pain on their prisoners. And a Roman flogging was a torture eclipsed in its pain only by the final act of death, which was crucifixion. A flogging was brutal. It, it was more than just a whipping. They had a specially crafted tool designed to inflict the most pain and injury on a man that could possibly be done. The idea was to flog a man to the point of death without actually letting him die. The, the job of the man whose job was to carry out that torture was to bring the victim to what they called the first death. After that, the Bible says they took a crown of thorns and they placed it on Jesus' head. This is a crown of thorns from the Middle East. You see, they're not small thorns like what we think of on a rose bush here. These things grow three and four inches long. They're hard, they're sharp, they're tremendously painful if you happen to get stuck with one. And what the soldiers would have done is to carefully have placed that crown on Jesus' head. But because the thorns are so long, they would have used sticks to ram it into Jesus' skull, to pound it into His scalp. And the amount of blood, not to mention the pain, would have been absolutely excruciating. There was nothing good about the crown that they put on Jesus' head. It was at this point then that they put the purple robe on Jesus as a way of mocking Him as King. Imagine that His skin is torn from His body. He's bleeding. He is in unbelievable pain after this flogging He's taken. And they put a robe on Him as His blood is beginning to dry. 
Jesus and Pilate then have one more conversation. This time in Pilate's home after he had paraded Jesus in front of the angry mob. The Bible says that Pilate was afraid. Pilate, something about him knew who Jesus was and he knew what was happening. And he was also a coward. He wanted to let Jesus go, but Pilate wouldn't do it. He had already let Barabbas go and the Jews threatened to turn Pilate over to Caesar. When the Jewish chief priest announced loudly, we have no king but Caesar, Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified. There was no good in the religious leaders. There was no good in the chief priests, those who should have recognized him for who he was. There was no good in the crowd who Jesus came to save from their sins. There was no good in Pilate who was a coward. The Bible says that they forced Jesus to carry the crossbeam of His own cross on His bloody and shredded shoulders, the very same piece of wood that He would be nailed to and die on through the streets of the city to be ridiculed and to be mocked by the people. The Bible says when He simply could not carry on any further because He was so weary from the pain and the thirst and the loss of blood, blood, the guards grabbed a man named Simon of Cyrene who was in town to carry the cross and they forced Him to carry it for Jesus outside the walls of the city to a place called Gogotha, which means the place of the skull. And when He got there, The crossbar was laid on the ground and it was secured to an upright portion of the cross that would have been dropped into a hole in the ground. But before that happened, Jesus' arms were outstretched by the soldiers and a large nail was pounded into His wrist about here because it was stronger than if they'd put the nail in His hand because here it would hold Him up. But the other thing that it did is it pierced the nerve that ran through the wrist which would cause excruciating pain just as he laid there not to imagine what would have happened when he was holding his body weight with those nails. And then they held his feet together and they drove a large spike through the space between his Achilles tendon and his ankle bone. And they ran it into the cross knowing the amount of pain that it was going to take to try to stand and hold up his body weight to breathe. Strength enough to hold, but excruciating pain to experience. They knew what they were doing. There was nothing good in them. Do you know that's where we get the word excruciating from? It's from the Latin word excruciare. It means the pain of being crucified. Something you and I will never know. From there, they would have lifted the cross once Jesus was affixed to it. They would have used ropes and they would have picked it up and they would have dropped it into a hole in the ground and left Jesus, the Son of God, to die. It is there, hanging from a Roman cross, dying for crimes and sins He was completely innocent of, that the Son of God, who became sin for us, cries out to His Father, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That was his heart language. What it means in English is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is left all alone. Left to die for you and for me. There was no good on that cross for Jesus. There was only excruciating pain which racked his body. And it was meant only by the excruciating pain that he felt becoming our sins becoming sin for us. The separation that he felt from his Father had to have been more excruciating for him than the pain that his body was in. There was no good on the cross for Jesus. 
Those words and their meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, have caused more confusion and arguments and Christian against Christian debates than almost anything else in the Bible. Here's what the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham had to say about it. He said those words point to the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, all of our sins, without exception, were transferred to Him. He was without sin, for He was God in human flesh. But as He died, all our sins were placed on Him. And He became the final and complete sacrifice for our sins. And in that moment, He was banished from the presence of God, for sin cannot exist in God's presence. His cry speaks of this truth. He endured the separation from God that you and I deserve. This is a profound truth, Dr. Graham said. And yet it also should bring us great comfort because Christ died for us. We do not fear death or hell or judgment. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Finally, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Trusting even through the separation of our sin that he was in God's will. And with the last words, it is finished, his task on earth, the purpose for which he left heaven. And he died there on that cross. The purpose of paying the price for our sins by being the sacrifice that took our sin upon himself, by literally becoming our sin, his task was finished. And He died alone on that cross knowing that He had lived and died in His Father's will. On that Good Friday 2,000 years ago, the only good thing was Jesus who did exactly what His Father asked Him to do. And He did it for us, for you and for I. The Bible says the sky went dark and the heavy veil in the, in the temple was torn in two, exposing the Holy of Holies, the place that the Jewish people believed God resided on earth. And now it was open to everyone in the sacrificial death of Jesus. Heaven had torn its way through space and time and had come to earth. The price had been paid. Our sins had been bought with the body and the blood and the death of Jesus. Then they came and they took the body the lifeless body of Jesus down from the cross. and They wrapped Him in a clean linen and He laid Him in another man's tomb for the only home that Jesus had ever known had been with His Father. And now here He was dead without any home. The only thing good about Good Friday is the incredible, unfathomable love that Jesus has for you and I. That He would suffer as He did and die alone so that we would never need to experience life or death outside the presence of God. The only good thing is Jesus. Good Friday is good only because the cross is the gateway that Jesus passed through on His way to the tomb. And on that, I'll see you again on Sunday. Let's pray. God, we can't imagine... We cannot imagine what Jesus went through. We think we've got tough lives. We think we go through tough stuff. We cannot begin to imagine and, and forgive us for even thinking we can try. The people that Jesus had poured Himself into left Him.
The man who said he loved him more than anyone denied him. One of the men who had spent three years turned him over. Betrayed him to be killed. His disciples, who he simply asked to pray, couldn't stay awake long enough to pray. And God, in His humanity, even asked you if there's any other way that your purpose could be accomplished. But God, He was willing to do whatever you asked of Him. And He did it for us. God, don't let us take Good Friday for granted. Don't let us think that there was anything good in the trials, the jailing, the trip through town carrying the means of His own death, hanging on the cross and breathing His last, realizing that those men had all abandoned Him. There was nothing good in any of that for Jesus. The only good in that is that He did it for us. God, let us live lives that are worthy of the sacrifice that was made for us to be in a relationship with You. God, let us live good lives, not just as good people, but as people who live according to Your will for us, just like Jesus did. It's in His name that we pray and give You such great thanks. Amen.